The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Hello. I'm Suzanne Phillips. Thank you for joining me on Psych Up Live. Today we're going to be talking about making changes across continents. Our show is going to take us from addressing compulsive shopping in the U.S. to preventing HIV and AIDS with teens in Africa. The person who's going to tie together these two goals is a returning guest to Psych Up Live, Dr. April Benson. Dr. Benson is the nationally known expert in the study and treatment of compulsive shopping disorder. She is the author of I Shop, Therefore I Am, and To Buy or Not Buy, Why We Overshop and How to Stop. She provides a number of well-researched treatment programs that are available nationally and internationally in person, on the telephone, and even through Skype. On our show today, Dr. Benson's going to start by helping us recognize and consider strategies for addressing the compulsive shopping patterns that persist long after holiday shopping is finished. She will then invite us into her recent trip to the countryside around Johannesburg, South Africa, where she participated in a wonderful program for teens teens whose parents or family members are affected by HIV or AIDS. This was Camp Cisanani, and she and this team that went to work with the teens provided a program that offered hope, real-life skills, and the possibility of making changes for these young people. In our final segment, Dr. Benson will talk about the young people's reactions as well as the impact she had as someone herself who has suffered with shopping addiction and even the challenges she faced and mastered in Africa. Dr. April Benson, it is my pleasure to welcome you back to Psych Up Live. Suzanne, thank you so much. I am delighted to be here. Terrific. Let's start with the fact that All of us, I mean, I can't go on my computer, April, without getting a pop-up of my favorite shoes and what sale they are now being offered at. So the question is, how do we discern compulsive shopping from just thinking you could get a great post-holiday sale? It's a good question, Suzanne, and the answer is fairly simple. Compulsive buying is buying that leads to negative consequences. Normal buying does not. Mm-hmm. Compulsive buying may be triggered by emotional, interpersonal, occupational stress. Normal oh. buying is not usually. Compulsive so- buying is usually something we do to enhance mood. Okay. So what about someone who has money and says to me, I believe in retail therapy. When I'm down, I go and I buy. And it's true, I have a tremendous number of shoes and pocketbooks, but I love them all. Would we consider that person a compulsive shopper? Only if there are serious negative consequences. Now, 
the person herself may not believe that there are serious negative consequences. But if we ask her partner, we might get a very different story. Mm -hmm. The compulsive buyer may be denying the effect on the relationship, may be denying the effect on their retirement account. So self-report is not always a reliable indicator. Hmm. Now, would you say, so the warning signs that I might consider if I was a bit worried that my shopping was on the edge. I mean, I know one person who shops so much online, April, that she doesn't even open some of the packages. So I'm wondering, what kind of sign might I use to start to self-reflect about whether my holiday shopping is really way out there and so is the shopping that I continue to do? There are many questions to ask yourself. Do you shop as a quick fix for the view, for the blues? Does something inside of you sometimes push you to shop? Do you feel high when you go on a buying binge? Do you buy things even though you don't need or can't afford them? Do you have a lot of unused or unworn items? Do you hide Mm. your purchases and your shopping trips from family Mm. or friends? Mm -hmm. Do you worry about your spending habits but still spend more money than you can afford? Mm. Now, would you say that both men and women struggle with compulsive shopping? We always think about women as the shoppers. Both men and women suffer and maybe... Almost equally, especially given the proliferation of Internet shopping, men are big Internet shoppers. Hmm. So there are many male compulsive buyers. Now, it may look a little different. The categories of what they buy may differ from women, but not always. Hmm. And they may do less browsing than women. You know, women who are the gatherers of information as well. And men in the, I think I've mentioned it before on your show, Suzanne, this off-Broadway play, Defending the Caveman. Mm -hmm. And in one scene, the man goes out and sees a shirt, shoots the shirt, and brings it home. The woman (laughs) takes a big basket and gathers item after item after item taking her much longer to do the shopping. But, again, depending upon the consequences, that man's shirt shooting may represent just as a compulsive purchase as the woman's gathering many items. Now, let me ask you if you have found this to be true as another sign. One of the studies, and it might have even been mentioned in one of your books because the books are truly terrific, um, mentioned that if if I was sh- going to the store and the person with me was a compulsive shopper, let's say, um, we'd both be excited about going to the store, but I would be excited with my shoes and I'd go home excited. The compulsive shopper is a very, very excited and very, very heightened in arousal. But no sooner is the purchase made than they drop back down to whether it was the anxiety or the depression or the kind of emptiness they're feeling. Is that something you have observed? That is something I have talked about, you're absolutely right. Not only have I observed it, but we do have some research evidence to suggest that mood for the normal buyer starts at point A. It does improve at the point of purchase. This is for the normal buyer. And it keeps improving after the purchase. And just like you've mentioned, Suzanne, for the compulsive buyer, mood generally starts a little lower for the compulsive buyer than for the normal buyer. At the point of purchase, mood shoots way beyond the normal buyer's mood. The compulsive buyer's mood is better than the normal buyer's mood at the point of purchase. But the post-purchase is very different. 
As I mentioned, the normal buyer's mood continues to rise. Satisfaction with the purchase makes it rise even more. The compulsive buyer starts to feel anxiety, guilt, remorse, whatever. And after purchase, their mood drops precipitously, but not quite as far as it was before the purchase. So Mm. it is mildly reinforcing, which is what fuels it. I see. Okay, that's so interesting. And do you think that that's even true with the Internet? When I hit, you know, shop or send through, you know, complete the deal, do you think that 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 same kind of um, up and down difference would apply to someone who's just buying something and someone who compulsively shops? My hunch is that it wouldn't be as big a disparity. Okay. And the reason I think that is because on the Internet, you can change your mind right away. Mm. When you have bought something in a bricks-and-mortar store and you've now already brought it home, you've got to do something to get it back to that store where you don't have to if you bought something online and you have time to change your mind. Mm. Okay. All right. So let's go from that to, if we have listeners out there who are thinking, I think I'm a little bit of a compulsive shopper, or I'm a thrift shop shopper, but I have so much in my house now I can't move. What are some of the small steps someone could take? And then what are some of the treatment programs and how do they address this? Small steps. The first intervention that I suggest is to ask yourself six questions when you're contemplating making a purchase that you have any question about. And here are the questions. Why am I here? How do I feel? Do I need this? What if I wait? How will I pay for it? And where will I put it? Mm. If you can ask and answer those questions, preferably in writing, to your satisfaction, it's probably not a compulsive purchase. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I remember you mentioning on another show that some people even keep a card in their wallet as a kind of um, a guideline to just a pause button before they get to that register. Yes. Everybody who purchases material from us gets a little laminated card in the envelope with the book or the journal that they order. It's also on my website. All you have to do is print it out and cut it. And if you want to laminate it, you can. But it's there on the website. It's terrific. So something so it, you can print out, which we so call that, the reminder card. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, which is a great first step because if I find I can easily put those questions into action and actually not make the purchase... Okay, I've taken a step towards stepping back from com- a compulsive addiction, you know, addictive type shopping. Now, if I just feel I'm completely out of control, I and I didn't know where to go or who to call, what's the type of program I might access online or what do you recommend I read? How would I move to something like that? There are a number of things you can do. One thing that you can always do and it's free is go to Debtors Anonymous or attend an online or a telephone meeting. The only thing about Debtors Anonymous that I've heard, and this is not true of every city and every meeting, what I've heard is that it tends to be populated with a lot of under-earners, which is not always the situation of an overshopper. So that said, Debtors Anonymous is free. The program that I've developed in the book, To Buy or Not to Buy, Why We Overshop and How to Stop, is very comprehensive, and someone can do it alone. They can read the book and do every single exercise. They can do it with a buddy. They can do it with a family member, with a therapist 
We do it with people in small groups and individually. We coach people through the program. Mm -hmm. We also do guided self-help, which is essentially people go through the program themselves, but they get a certain number of 15 or 20-minute phone calls with a professional to help them if there is some sticking point. So those are, and then the final thing I will say is that we developed a text messaging program and it's been running now for over a year and a half and about 150 people have used it. It's three months long and when you sign up for it, it's $24.95 for three months. When you sign up for it, you fill out a short assessment. And based on your answers to the assessment, you will get texts between two and five a day that are earmarked, especially for you. Not every text is hand-picked, because some are generic and go to everyone, but others are specific to the user. They also get special texts on Friday and Sunday because the weekend and the week are two very different shopping environments for many people. And also the day before Black Friday, the day of Black Friday, major shopping days. And the final thing about that program is that the user can text the system 24-7 for immediate help. If they have an urge or if they started shopping either in a bricks-and-mortar store or uh, online, and they get an immediate targeted text, some of them are linked to one-minute audios that I and other recovering shopaholics have taped. And then 10 minutes later, we check in with them to see if they're still having the urge or they're still shopping, and based upon what they text back, we either send them a congratulatory text or we try it try one more time to talk them off that emotional ledge. Wow. What's really amazing about this, not only is it economical, but when we think that addictions very often result in loneliness, self-loathing, and a feeling of helplessness, in this culture where everyone's texting, what a wonderful way to not feel alone as you're struggling to deal with feelings in a way different than an addictive response. It's a terrific program, um, April. I'm so glad you're mentioning it to our listeners. And I would encourage our listeners for this topic to go to the books. And we'll be talking about and giving you the websites later, as well as um, Dr. April Benson's website, which has all this information on it. And that website is what again, April? Shopaholicnomore.com. Okay. We're going to take a brief break. Um, You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We've been speaking with Dr. April Benson, the national expert on compulsive shopping. And in our next segment, we're going to be listening in as she shares her experience in Camp Sazani in Johannesburg, South Africa, with teens who also need to make changes. Stay with us. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you're seeking more confidence, it is time to feel good naked. Each week, host La Redman and her guest experts are here to help you be you. In order to truly be successful and happy, you need self-confidence, self-love, and self-respect. Feel Good Naked Radio will teach you how to embrace these qualities and make your life more fulfilling and meaningful. Listen live every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be proud of who you really are from the inside out. Are you finding your frequency? 
It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Hoarding has become a tremendous issue worldwide, not just for those who hoard, but for the people who love and care about them. On Take Back Your Life, when your things are taking over, host Elaine Birchall helps you to understand and get unstuck from the clutter in your life, no matter how severe. Our program brings you practical strategies to help you get started and maintain your goals. Listen live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're here with Dr. April Benson, who's going to really share her experience in Johannesburg, South Africa, working with young folks, teens who were dealing with parents or family members with HIV and AIDS, and a program that's very, very fascinating. I think it can be applied in other places to really not only offer hope, but to offer some wonderful experiences and some life skills. Dr. Benson, fill us in. Take us to Africa. Okay. I learned about Camp Sizanani close to 10 years ago because it is the camp that's run by an organization called Global Camps Africa. And the person who is the head of Global Camps Africa, Phil Lilienthal, was the director of Camp Winnebago in Maine, which is where my sons attended when they were of camping age. So I knew this man and his wife, and I knew what wonderful values they instilled by creating a particularly wonderful program for kids from 9 to 16, and I knew that when they were young, in the 1960s, this couple were in the Peace Corps in Ethiopia, Mm -hmm. and they started a residential camp in Ethiopia. So when... I, so, and I think part of their hearts were always in Africa. And when Phil Lilienthal turned 65, as I understand it, he passed the mantle of the camp to one of his two sons, and he and his wife Lynn came to South Africa and started this organization. It's been going on for 12 years, this camp. Mm. Three times a year when the kids are out of school, it's a one-week experience. The the counselors come four days early for training. And twice a month in the home communities, some of the counselors come Saturday afternoons to work with the kids. So there's continuity and there's a continuous supply of kids who are good candidates Wonderful coming to camp. And they keep the follow-up going. That's wonderful. Yes. They've even done some outcome literature, outcome research on the program, and it has had some very good effects. The kids learn critical life skills, HIV, AIDS prevention. They learn about 
sexually transmitted infection, about teen parenting, about the changes of puberty. They learn about decision-making and self-awareness. So that the life skills is the nexus of the program, the hub. In addition to that, every day there are each camper gets arts and crafts, drama, athletics, nutrition, yoga, and swimming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when they're getting the life skills, what type of setting is it offered in and were they how did they respond to it? Were they just lectures? Were they discussions? They were small group they they were both didactic and small group discussions. It nice. was always a boy's cabin and a girl's cabin together. The mm-hmm. teachers were wonderful. I have video of just wonderful moments where the teachers talked about the topic of the day and then were very skilled in asking questions of the campers who were so mature and respectful mm. and responsible with this material. These were 12 to 18-year-olds. These well, were not kids who were acting out. You know, nobody had to be put out of the room. Sure, sometimes there was chuckling, and that's all fine. Mm. But mm. that's one of the things I most noted about these kids. They were well, so eager Mm-hmm. to learn and get and have whatever was offered. You know, the, the, the thing, when I read about it, and, and I'm hearing you say this, uh, I'm thinking how amazing these children are exposed to the painful side, the illness side of so much at such a young age that to have the opportunity to speak with other kids and have information about the teen parenting, sex trafficking, etc., is such a valuable, in, in some ways, step forward and such a different step for them. And I'll tell you that I, I would say that often people think, well, how much could happen in a week? I've been so struck with week programs, even day programs, when they offer something someone has never had. And especially Mm -hmm. when you intervene or you mix the kind of message you are giving about the life skills with these wonderful other activities. Mm -hmm. Now, tell us a little about the um, your arts and crafts. You were the person coming with arts and crafts from New York. So tell us what you brought and what you did. I had learned how to make what I made in this particular class at the Museum of Art and Design was a beautiful necklace made out of cut-up men's ties. It was a fairly simple process where you would use something like a shoelace or it could be a ribbon or a piece of seam binding, and you made a slip knot, and then you took your finger and you made a chain. Very simple. Doesn't take mm-hmm. any equipment. And then you tie the end. So what you're left with is a chain. And then the materials, I asked my neighbors. I told my neighbors, and I live in a building with about 140 apartments. And I sent an email through our building link saying where I was going and what I was doing and what kind of materials I would love to get. Mm. And I said men's ties, shoelaces, seam binding, rickrack, things like that. Right. Zippers. And so I got a lot of shopping bags (laughs) with stuff in them. And then I got an email two days before I was leaving from a neighbor who said, my husband died six weeks ago. I have a lot of ties for you. Call me and come see me. Wow. So I called her and I went to see her and I immediately recognized her because I remembered her from the gym and her husband, but I didn't know their name or anything about them. It turns out, so she brought in 
a huge bag full of ties and proceeded to tell me who her husband had been. And this was quite a coincidence. It appeared it appears as though her husband, who was a very well-respected and famous civil rights lawyer who represented Martin Luther King when he, was, when he, this Jack Greenberg, was in his 20s. He was also one of the lawyers who argued in front of the Supreme Court, two seats away from Thurgood Marshall, Brown versus Board of Education, which was our landmark Supreme Court case outlawing segregated schools. And the last piece, and the most relevant piece for this, was that this Jack Greenberg, who just died, was probably bore more responsibility for helping the, the lawyers of South Africa draft the post-apartheid constitution than anyone else. Wow. And this was just total coincidence. Well, it's just, it's such a magical story to think this man's ties were going to now be a way and a vehicle to have these children have some wonderful memories as well as learn how to be safe and have some future options. It's an amazing coincidence. How did yeah. they like, how did they like making these ties? I Well, I think they loved the project because it's, Anybody could do it. You can use some of the kids made headbands. Some of them made ankle bracelets. Some of them decorated their name tags. Some used the lining from the tie and then kind of wove things into it. Kids did, and the counselors who did it during their training. So I had practiced twice before the kids got there, which was terrific. So... All week long, people were wearing this art that they had made, and, and everyone had an opportunity to use some, of a few of Jack Greenberg's ties in what they were making as a way of symbolically having a tie to their own constitution and their own freedom. Amazing. A really amazing. And I, I'll say to our listeners... Um, I will post it on Twitter and on my Facebook page that I did just receive a video from April and she'll be posting it too, where when you see the counselors making the ties and singing and dancing and just they are completely alive and it's such a really fabulous group experience. But when you think about um, the history of the ties, as well as the reason why April was there, it really becomes meaningful. It's, it's a wonderful, it sounds like it was a wonderful experience for these kids. It, it, I, I think for everybody. Mm. It's something, you know, it's just unforgettable. I was you able, know, in addition to teaching arts and crafts, I also taught them meditation. And that was something I had wanted to do. And mm. I taught them a different kind of meditation each day. Give so us an example. They, yeah, one day I taught them a little about sitting meditation. I taught them to, to, to feel their feet on the floor and their body in the chair, the gentle pressure of their clothes on their skin. And then I said to them, very still, feel the play of air on your hands and face. So that was one meditation. I taught them mm -hmm. loving kindness meditation. Mm, we did the raisin meditation, which is a very a, a seminal meditative intro where you pretend, you can do it many ways, but you pretend you're from a different planet. And you don't know what this object is that I've placed into your hand. It happens to be a raisin, but you don't know what it is. And you are a scientist from another planet, and you look at this object very carefully. And you, you, know, you look at the shape, you 
might want to put it up to your nose and see what happens when you do that. You might want to put it up to your ear, see if you can hear it. Anyway, eventually, they put it between their lips and they and they get in touch with what kind of, what that feels like and whether they have an impulse to do something else with it. And then they put it on the middle of their tongue and eventually they chew it, eat it, and swallow it. Did they share what this, did they share what the experience meant to them, April? Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, great. Yes. Great. Yes. Yes. And on, at the final campfire, when I spoke very briefly, I did end my brief remarks with the loving-kindness meditation, which they spontaneously repeated back. Oh, how precious. Yeah. Yeah, very, very precious. You know, it's everyone, well, many people have very positive memories of a summer at grandma's, certain vacations. And when people say, how much of a difference can... Uh, nine days in a child's life be, and you hear the elements of this program, you know that when it's so different from anything they've ever done, and it is wrapped in loving kindness, I think the impact is tremendous. I think so, too. I really do. I, and I yeah. I, I think it's changed me in ways I'm not even aware of yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think also the fact that you were coming and bringing this duffel bag, as you described it, with, I'll call it consumer items, given your specialty, is, is, you know, a consumer addiction in a way. Now they were translated into something that kids could use as symbols of this camp, of the life skills you were talking about of the possibilities of preventing what they, the AIDS and the HIV that their parents or families were suffering from. You know, everything starts to take on a bigger meaning than the literal tie or the particular item. But I mm-hmm. think, um, as you said, <clears throat> it probably won't even all hit them, but they'll remember different things about it. Uh-huh. Um, a- as they go through their year and wait till that next camp experience. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, now the, they can only go once, but they can follow up. They, they, you know, this is all free of charge, of course, to, to them. And the camp is funded by donations, maybe some little grants, but mostly donations. Mm-hmm. So they get and- to go just once. But these kids, I think, are hand-selected and spotted as kids who could probably make great use out of what they get there. And it Mm -hmm. sure felt that way to me. Mm -hmm. And were any of the camp counselors once campers? Oh, yes. Ah. So that's another way of passing it forward. Yes. It sounds remarkable. We're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back and ask Dr. Benson what this meant to her, and we're going to bring it right back to Compulsive Shopping, New York, and the United States, and what we took from these children in South Africa in terms of sharing a very, very precious experience. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Are you a pet parent? If so, you'll want to stay up to date on the latest tech gadgets and advances for your canine or feline friend. With a ton of apps, websites, tech toys, and more, you'll want to be in the know when it comes to the real treasures and the duds. For that information, listen for Pet Lover Geek with host Lorian Clemens. We test and discuss what's hot and what's not on the pet front, so you'll be better informed. Tune in Saturdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. What makes a great leader? Most have a vision, one that starts beyond the resources available and continues from that point into developing a solid plan, organization, and company. Leadership issues are discussed each week on VoltCast, illuminating leadership with host Jeff Smith. Jeff has years of experience as a leader and executive coach, and his guests will bring you information that can help a team of any size. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We've been doing a wonderful show with Dr. April Benson. She's the author of I Shop, Therefore I Am, and To Buy or Not to Buy, Why We Overshop, and How to Stop. Now, we talk so much about giving and getting. Dr. Benson's going to share now that her giving in Africa with these teens really gave her quite a gift in terms of her challenges as a compulsive shopper. Dr. Benson... Tell us what you brought home. I brought home a good deal of stuff. I brought home three baskets, three Zulu baskets. I brought home some beaded figures that were made in Cameroon. I brought home some things that were made in Kashmir. And I brought home some beautiful African bowls and trays kinds of things. The exchange rate in South Africa is very favorable to the U.S. dollar, and things were very inexpensive. So I was very aware how easy it would have been to buy five times what I bought. Maybe that's an exaggeration, but I certainly could have bought easily, bought double what I did. And still, even buying what I bought, I've noticed some interesting things. I didn't look very carefully at the workmanship of the items that I bought. For example, I didn't realize until I got home that some of the little shells in the head of these figures from Cameroon were broken. Well, let me just stop to to say one thing to our listeners so they have the context that I have and that you've shared so many times. So Dr. Benson herself is someone who got into this field because she became aware of compulsive shopping. So what you're hearing now is her ownership of her caution that even what she bought may have tempted her a bit. And I think that's what you're trying to share with us, right? Yes. Okay. I yeah. think what I'm, one of the things I'm trying to say is that I got caught up in the beauty and the beauty of the price of some of these things. And as a result, I didn't look as carefully as I might have looked at the workmanship. Mm -hmm. And I think what that, if I had looked more carefully, one of the things I would have asked the guys, because mostly I bought things at markets, was for more of these little shells Mm 
so that when I got home, I would have an opportunity to fix them. Mm-hmm. So this was, this was a simple thing I could have done, but it just did not even occur to me because I didn't look carefully. Mm. I was kind of caught up in the, in, in the moment, the price, the, the beauty of it, but I didn't look fully. It's, they're still beautiful, and they're even beautiful with a few broken shells. But mm. I didn't, I wasn't even aware of it. So you're saying, and you correct me, please, when, when you get hooked into a kind of compulsive shopping aura, the urge to have it sometimes out trumps judgment, discerning what whether something's properly made or whether it has a mistake. In other words, that's a little bit of the blinding of the addiction. Exactly. Exactly. Totally. So that so, was that yeah. So yeah, so I think that was something I noticed because it occurred there, it occurred in I didn't really look very carefully at the workmanship on on a couple of handbags that I brought. That I, that I bought and brought home. So I noticed my own impulsivity uh, clouding my judgment in certain respects. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if you, if, if you were going to speak for other listeners out there who have noticed this, what's the lesson learned when you stop and pause and think, whoa, what was I thinking? I was caught again. What is the lesson learned? Where, sh- where do you go with it? Help us understand how to use it. Well, I think my hunch is that having focused on this now in this way, I am going to be much more likely to look carefully at what I'm buying, to look mm-hmm. more carefully at it than I have in the past. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So and that I you move... That also, I mean, I think part of this has to do with stage of life as well. I don't, I don't want to keep adding things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so I need to be very discerning with the things I do add. Mm. That makes me think of a number of people who have said, and this still becomes a problem, they're compulsive shoppers, April, but they just explain it away by being grandparents who hand it to everyone. But then uh-huh. the a- adult children are saying, please do not bring more things here. Yes. So yes. that even though you're not keeping them, it's, it's really putting a pause button and bringing feelings and thoughts and thoughts to deal with feelings into that, that initial impulse. So it's so interesting that you're, you're so open and honest about even taking a look at um, your experience in Africa from the eye of a compulsive shopper. Tell me overall emotionally what you took from your experience with these young children, their counselors, the teens. What did you take away? Oh, I, I mean, I took away how much, you know, how really, how, you know, loving and goodness is there everywhere. You know, yep. you, you just have to see it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's such a, an amazing thing, I imagine, to see. And the, on the video, people will see it. The happiness and the laughter and that people don't need a lot, but they need to be safe, they need to be helped, and they need each other. Um, One of the things that April shared at the break was that one of the little or youngest campers made a little video, a thank you video for her, and she's going to send that. She's going to post it. I'm going to post it on my Facebook page. Um, I'll try to post it on my host page and on Twitter so that you get even a closer feel for what April Benson was part of when she went to South Africa to help these young people. Sometimes the thing we take away is the power of the human spirit to go on and to laugh no matter where you are and what you're facing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I guess in the last couple of years, that has really emerged uh, and... I think that 
we now have a lot of research that suggests that if we focus on what makes our hearts sing or what we feel grateful for in some detail, it has a protective effect on the lifespan. Mm. And I don't know well enough about dopamine and the doors of dopamine, etc. But it has something to do with keeping a particular level of that neurotransmitter constant. At least that's what I'm taking from the little bit about this that I've read. Well, when you had all the... You know, so there are, are actual physiological good reasons for gratitude and, you know, for all of Yes. That. Yeah. And those were all part of your program, from gratitude and generosity to music, arts and crafts. Yeah. Information, everything was covered, the different things we think about that make yeah. a difference. Suzanne, in- Suzanne, the other thing that I noticed about these kids... They didn't know each other before they came. At least not very many of them knew each other, as I understood it. And the way that they were, like, immediately fell in as a unit, as helpers to each other. Nice. It was was quite striking. Wonderful. Wonderful. The power of finding each other and reaching out. It's, uh, you know, they say hope gets even bigger when you're doing it with other people. It sounds, it really sounds precious. I really thank you for coming on, but I want to be sure to ask you, could you share with our listeners your website again so they can know about your texting programs, your other programs, as well as your books? What is the way to find you again, April? Shopaholicnomore.com. Okay, and going there will give us all kinds of options in terms yes. of books, programs, treatment, yes. and et there's a tremendous amount of free help yeah, there. There really is. And if people wanted to contribute to um, the camp or the organization that sponsors the camp. Global what, Camps Africa. Okay, Global Camps Africa. And please um, remember to go on um April's site because she'll even be posting more about this camp experience. Thank you again. I feel like you not only gave us a gift, but you certainly touched those children as well as all of the neighbors in your building who got to play yes, a part even yes, indirectly. Yes, yes. yes. I'm going to go see Jack Greenberg's widow next week. Terrific, terrific. Yeah. I want to I thank my listeners Thanks again for listening to Psych Up Live. Remember that you can hear this and any prior show as a podcast on my host site, my website, on the podcast app of your iPhone, and on iTunes. Feel free to drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Mostly until next week, please take care, thanks, and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. It's staff and management.